Welcome to the Climate Report on Forward Radio, WFMP, 106.5 FM, Louisville. This is Hart Hagen, your host, and we are on episode number 134. Today's topic is the Green New Economy, part 3. We'll be talking about the Green New Economy in a few minutes, but first, here's what the Climate Report is all about. Climate change should really be called climate disruption and climate catastrophe. It is something that we are already experiencing and have been experiencing for a few years. And it's a problem that we must solve, but yet we have a a powerful ruling elite who control the media and they keep this information from us. I mean, we've heard about climate change, but... Public opinion kind of has its nuances. It's like a big ship that does not turn easily or quickly. And the people who do media know how to manipulate public opinion. And that may sound conspiratorial until you realize that media outlets are businesses. The New York Times is a business. The Wall Street Journal is a business. The Washington Post is a business. They depend for their revenue on advertising dollars and the fortune 500 are the ones who advertise and the fortune 500 have the the most to gain from business as usual they're making a lot of money on business as usual big restaurant corporations like mcdonald's the war machine agribusiness they're making a lot of money on business as usual and if we implement any form of green new deal then we're going to have an economy that provides much more benefit to average people and local economies. It will no longer be an economy that delivers most of the benefits to the wealthiest people or the biggest corporations. The Climate Report is about participating in a conversation where you and I can be informed and not only be informed but we develop the skill of communicating with one another so that we know and understand the issues and we can be powerful players in an actual democracy. One thing the powers that be do not want is for you and me to be powerful players in an actual democracy. They want us to think that we live in a democracy. Meanwhile, they're behind the scenes pulling the strings. They want us to think that we participate in a democracy by voting, but they are the ones that pick the candidates that we get to vote on. There are a few exceptions to that rule, and that may be changing. But for now, 99.9% of all the politicians in Washington, D.C., are those that have been put there by big money. So our task is to know the issues and be able to spread ideas person to person, small group to small group, and take back our democracy. And that's what the Climate Report is all about. This program is part of WFMP's Public Affairs Educational Programming. The views expressed are those of the speaker and not the station. If you have any comments, questions, or feedback, please email info at theclimatereport.net. 
Also, if you want access to more episodes, go to info, go to theclimatereport.net, my website. Last time we were reading this part of the Green Party platform. It says, We believe the giant multinational corporation is the world's most potent force for environmental and social destruction. Unlike other political parties in the modern era, the Green Party views economics not as an end in itself, but as a service to, the, to community development through the building and strengthening of community bonds that constitute the social fabric. Greens are defenders of the commons, the vast trove of wealth owned by the people, the social and tangible assets we inherit from generations past. Most people living in this country yearn for a more vibrant and lively commons, such as a richer community life, more parks and protected wilderness, clean air and water, more silence, better access to information and knowledge, and a more nourishing culture. We must stop big business from undermining and stealing our common wealth, such as our public forests and minerals, the fruits of federal research, the public airwaves, and the Internet. So that last sentence is, is something that I've talked about at some length on this show especially the part about federal research. So, for time immemorial, especially since 1945, here's what we've done. We've given lots and lots and lots of money to the Defense Department. Now, the Defense Department is supposed to be legitimate because we're supposed to be defending ourselves, but actually we're not defending ourselves. We're only participating in wars of aggression. We're not defending ourselves from actual threats. We are defending ourselves from false, made-up threats. We're defending ourselves from threats that have been made up by the people who profit from war. That includes business leaders and politicians. And the people that profit from war are not just the war Profiteers, not just the weapons manufacturers, but also the fossil fuel companies profit from war. And every multinational business profits from war. Every multinational business profits when the United States projects its power all over the world. That's why we have 800 military bases around the world. It has nothing to do with defense. But back in the late 40s, the business leaders, the big business and big government said we don't want to slip back into depression. So we know that we have to spend money. The question is, what are we going to spend money on? And you could have spent it on hospitals and schools. In other words, you could have spent the money on social spending. But instead... They decided to spend it on defense because, for one thing, it's not democratic. In other words, you don't have to worry about interference from people who are 
having an opinion about what you, you know, if it's a school or a hospital, then people have an opinion about that. If it's a cargo plane, people don't have an opinion about that. So that's one advantage of defense spending over social spending. The other advantage of, of defense spending is that you're paying money directly to corporations. You're not strictly making corporations earn their pay by marketing goods and services to people. You are giving money directly to corporations who manufacture stuff that is needed for war. But when you do this, see the business community likes this too, because when you do this, you, there's lots of spin-off technologies. So computer technology was researched for 35 years before Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak came along and used that technology to develop a marketable personal computer. You would have never heard their names unless the government had invested your taxpayer dollars for 35 years. And it's the same for almost any technology you can think of. We are told that we have a vibrant economy because of the free market system, because of market competition. But the most dynamic sectors of our economy are those that result from government investment in technology. It includes not only computer technology, and you know, think about your iPhone. It has it has microchip. It has it uses the internet, and it requires telecommunications infrastructure, the, like the cell towers and things like that. All of that was developed by the government. Without the government investment, you would not have a cell phone. The most dynamic economies in the world are those where the government invests a lot. The thing is, it we don't have to do it in a sneaky way through the Defense Department. We could say, hey, we need solar panels and we want to make the best solar panels in the world. So let's do that. And you would have economic growth come from that. You would have spin-off technologies come from that. We would become a leader in solar technology because of that investment. We can do the same with wind power. We can do the same with mass transit. We can do the same for that state-of-the-art energy grid that we need in order to accommodate the solar and wind power that we generate. And we can do that. We just have to believe that climate change is a threat and that we need to mobilize on a large scale nationally in order to address the real threat of climate change as opposed to the fake threat of terrorism or the fake threat of narco-traffickers. But in order for any of this to happen, the public, starting with you and me, needs to become aware of how we have been ripped off for 70 years because we have this sneaky backdoor way of funding technological development. And it's not only a sneaky and backdoor way through the Department of Defense, but it also, we are leaders, we are nobody in the world 
It's an understatement to say that nobody in the world is a leader in the weapons of war like we are. And that's where the bulk of our technological investment goes. And if we're lucky, some of that technological investment spins off and, and then we can use that for civilian applications. But it doesn't need to be sneaky. It doesn't need to be backdoor. It can be intentional and it can be developed for life-affirming activities instead of activities that are destructive of life. Now we come to a part of the Green Party platform called Ecological Economics. To create an enduring society, we must devise a system of production and commerce where every act is sustainable and restorable. We believe that all business has a social contract with society and the environment. Let's stop right there. We believe that all business has a social contract with society and the environment. That is so different from what we are taught to believe. What we are taught to believe is that we need to step out of the way and just let business do what it does. And if we do that, if if we're nice to rich people, then then rich people will be nice back. We are not taught that business has a social contract with society and the environment. But it only makes sense that business should have a social contract with society and the environment. Continuing to read. In effect, a fiduciary responsibility, and that the concepts of socially responsible business and shareholder democracy can be models for prospering, successful business. So they're introducing a couple of ideas here. What we have now is corporations, a regular, there are different types of corporations, but a regular corporation only has obligations to shareholders. They do not have obligations to the community, or to their workers. I mean, there's certain obligations that they have, like you're not supposed to injure people, but they're just really minimal obligations. So corporations, according to the Green New Deal and, and according to the Green Party platform, and I would agree, corporations should have obligations to the community, to their workers and employees, and they should have obligations to their customers. That's socially responsible business. And there also should be, well it says here shareholder democracy. I think they mean stakeholder democracy. Anyway, continuing to read, we call for an economic system that is based on a combination of private businesses, decentralized democratic cooperatives, publicly owned enterprises, and alternative economic structures. Collectively, this system puts human and ecological needs alongside profits to measure success and maintains accountability to communities. So, the word socialism has not been used in this part of the Green Party platform. I don't, it may or may not appear anywhere. But anyway, when you start talking about changing the system that we have, you get accused of socialism. 
all the problems of the world are traced back to socialism. You have to kind of choke on the word when you say it. It's those darn socialists. What's un-American is socialism. Now, people who say that don't define the word socialism, but people who criticize socialism are not known for their critical thinking skills. Anyway, whenever you, crit whenever you call into question the American way of doing business, such as it is, you are accused as a socialist uh, to be uh, you're accused of being a socialist and that is supposed to be equated with soviet style socialism which is where the government owned everything now the soviet union wasn't all bad they had a great deal more freedom than we are led to believe there was a great deal more economic growth than we are led to believe but there was a constant barrage of anti-Soviet propaganda because for one thing they were the enemy and you if you want a war machine you have to have an enemy it wouldn't do to try to build a war machine unless you had an enemy gotta have that enemy but for another thing the the Soviet experiment called into question the American way of doing things which is where business always gets its way Anyway, the Soviet system had its problems, and one of the problems that it had was that everything was owned by the government. It was kind of like the government micromanaged everything. And that's not the kind of socialism that anybody I know is advocating. So here's the Green Party is one of the leading advocates of some anti-capitalist way of doing things. And you have things like, you, you have a combination of private businesses, decentralized democratic cooperatives, publicly owned enterprises, and alternative economic structures. So what I'm saying is that most people who identify as socialist, they have in mind a very decentralized way of going about things. You, whatever you can, you do it locally. Whatever you can, you, you, want, you want to have democratic way of doing things locally. You want businesses to be run democratically whenever possible. And private businesses are fine within limits. You just don't want a situation that we have now, which is winner takes all. What we have now is the game of Monopoly, where the big fish is always more powerful than the little fish. The big business can always buy out or outcompete the smaller business. The national and multinational business can always outcompete the locally owned business. That's not good for anybody except the few people who get very rich by stealing from us by stealing public resources and polluting public resources. But anyway, we're talking about a, a situation that's decentralized. And it says that this system puts human and ecological needs alongside profits to measure success. It doesn't say all profits are bad. It doesn't say profits have to go away. But human and ecological needs are to be considered alongside profits when measuring success. What could be more reasonable? And yet that's not what we have now. Continuing to read. 
Community-based economics constitutes an alternative to both corporate capitalism and state socialism. It values diversity and decentralization. Recognition of limits is central to this system. The drive to accumulate power and wealth is a pernicious characteristic of a civilization headed in a pathological direction. Let's repeat that. The drive to accumulate power and wealth is a pernicious characteristic of a civilization headed in a pathological direction. Here's what's pathological. Destroying the world that you depend on. Here's what's pathological. Polluting the waters because you can and because it's going to hurt other people but not you. Here's what's pathological polluting the air and causing disease. And this is what happens when the accumulation of power and wealth is the best you can do. When the accumulation of power and wealth is the standard by which everything else is measured. Nobody wants a world like that, but it's what we've got right now, and it's quite literally going to be the death of us if we don't change directions. Continuing to read, Greens advocate that economic relations become more direct, more cooperative, and more egalitarian. Humanizing economic relations is just one aspect of our broader objective, to shift toward a a different way of life characterized by sustainability, regionalization, more harmonious balance between the natural ecosphere and the human-made technosphere, and the revival of community life. Now, doesn't that sound good? They're saying we want to build an economic system that is cooperative, egalitarian. Economic relations are more direct as opposed to You earn money from stock, which is from profits made in South America, and you have no way of knowing the impact that your profits are making on other people. Or the food that you eat is from halfway across the continent, and you really have no way of knowing where it's been or or how much pesticide was put on it. We want an economic system that's characterized by sustainability. We don't want an unsustainable way of life. We want regionalization. We want to trade with people in our region. And we want a balance between the ecosphere and the human-made technosphere. And we want a revival of community life. We want to live in communities. We don't want to be isolated from the people who live close by. But that's what we've got now. Because our world, our economy, our country, our political life is dominated by a few big players who can't get enough. All they want is more, more, more. Continuing to read... We endorse or we support production methods that eliminate waste. In natural systems, everything is a meal for something else. 
Everything recycles. There is no waste. We need to mimic natural systems in the way we manufacture and produce things. Consumables need to be designed to be thrown into a compost heap and or eaten. Durable goods would be designed in closed loop systems, ultimately to be disassembled and reassembled. Toxics would be safeguarded, minimally produced, secured, and would ideally have markers identifying them in perpetuity with their makers. In other words, if you make something toxic, you can't just let that go away and not be traced back to you. If you make something toxic, it gets traced back to you. And if it's not disposed of properly, you might be liable for that. Continuing to read, the Green Party seeks to build an alternative economic system based on ecology and decentralization of power. An alternative that rejects both the capitalist system that maintains private ownership over almost all production, as well as a state socialist system that assumes control over industries without democratic local decision making. So that's just what, you know, the naysayers, the Green New Deal naysayers, don't want anybody to know that they're, or they, they do want you to think that you have to choose between a completely unfettered, unregulated free market or Soviet-style communism. Those are your choices. There is nothing in between. And anything that questions or critiques the American system such as it is now, well, that's socialism or that's communism. But here is a third way, and it's called, and it has to do with local democratic decision-making. The powers that be who are making quite a lot of money, thank you, off of business as usual, do not want you to believe that there is another way that is reasonable. Because if you knew there was another way that was reasonable, then you would vote to change the laws and you would cut way into the profits of the defenders of business as usual. You would cut way into the profits of those who are making quite a lot of money, thank you, off of the system such as it is, and they don't want you to know enough to be able to change it. Continuing to read, we believe the old models of capitalism, private ownership of production, and state socialism, state ownership of production, are not ecologically sound, socially just, or democratic, and that both contain built-in structures that advance injustices. Instead, we will build an economy based on large-scale green public works, municipalization, and workplace and community democracy. There's the word democracy again. Workplace democracy. That means businesses don't have to be top-down autocratic tyrannies. They don't have to be my way or the highway. Businesses can be democratic and communities can be 
democratic. And a democratic community is one that can just say no to these big corporations that want to come in from out of town, pollute, pay low wages, and take all the profits back to the home office. I've got about another minute. I would like to leave you with something to think about. So here's the main point. There are people and corporations that are making a lot of money off of business as usual. They don't want change, and they don't want you to know that change is possible. We have an opportunity to create a whole new world, but in order to create a whole new world, we have to know what that new world looks like so that some of us can explain it and defend it and justify it to others. We don't have to convert everybody to our cause, but we have to convert some people. That's why we're talking about the Green New Deal in all its various forms, because this is an opportunity of a lifetime to make change. If you want people to listen to you, you have to have a coherent set of proposals, and that's what the Green New Deal is. That's all for today. Thanks for joining me.